with my soul, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, it is well, my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, and Lord, haste the day. When the face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. This is one of my favorite songs, but I was at a funeral the other day and a song they played, Pat Lane. I think the last person I ever heard sing it was either Don Shockey or Laura Fay. I want to stroll mm-hmm. all over heaven with yeah. One glad day. And that just keeps going through my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. But we don't have the music, I don't think. I don't think we do. Yeah, it's a pretty song. Well, we thank Him. We'll turn the service over to Pastor. Welcome, everybody, to the services. Once again, we're thankful for the opportunity to be in God's house. We have a lot of sickness, and Renee is recovering from her surgery. Uh, she's still with Heather, and Heather took her home from the surgery to to uh, uh, take care of her. So, of course, Heather doesn't have to do a whole lot. The three kids are hanging in there just whenever she needs a drink. Then one of them wants to run and get it. So she, Heather doesn't have to do a whole lot to take care of Renee. But uh, she's there and recovering from her surgery, so pray for her. And um, just want to continue to pray much for each other in the services. Um, we uh, have a request for prayer. Laura's great nephew uh, was born Thursday, May the 15th. And, uh, okay. And, um, uh, just a minute to find it. Alright. Um, anyhow, um, he, everything was fine, but um, they had trouble after he was born uh, breathing, so they had to be life flighted to Dayton Women and Children's Hospital later that day. That's in Sydney, Ohio. So pray for that. That would be Laura's great nephew. So pray for 
him is having breathing problems. Can't uh, can't seem to get him to breathe right. So they're working on that. Renee's recovering from her surgery and seems to be doing pretty good about that. So we're we're thankful for that and want to continue to pray for her as she recovers. Um, any other announcements that I can think about. Okay. Um, we're going to, um, we've pretty well done everything that I wanted to do in the study of the uh, uh, of the church, the beginning of the first church, and all that for right now. I want to start now a little series of uh, lessons, uh, just kind of a uh, genealogy of, of Jesus and uh, and the um, uh, things about him and his life uh, that uh, should be should prove to be interesting to us. Okay, I'm hooking up the mic. If I can get it right side up, hook it onto my belt. Okay, a little bit about Jesus. Um, And uh, I'm going to do a series of lessons on that. And I think it'll prove to be pretty interesting. Let's first of all, um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll read the first 17 verses here. Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, Judas begat Phares and Zerah of Thamar, and Phares begat Ezron, and Ezron begat Aram, and Aram begat Amenadad, and Amenadad begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz of Rachel, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon of her that would have been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abia, and Abia begat Asa, and Asa begat Josephat, and Josephat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias, and Ozias begat Jothan, and Jothan begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias. Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren. About the time they were carried away to Babylon. After they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zorobabel, and Zorobabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor. 
Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Achim. Achim begat Eliab, and Eliab begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mason, and Mason begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations and from the carrying away unto um, Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, I read these verses and a lot of people have trouble reading uh, the verses with all the begats in here. But this is a history of the um, uh, genealogy of Christ. Now this, what we just read, was the uh, history of uh, Joseph. Now Joseph was a husband of Mary, and um, uh, he... um, um, he, uh, uh, of course, was not married to the mother of Jesus because uh, God had told him and um, uh, Joseph, which we'll read in just a little bit, uh, about the birth of Jesus and that she was going to bear the son that would be, uh, she would be conceived, uh, caused to have a child by the Holy Spirit and that Jesus would be born as the Son of God. And so uh, this was the, the history of the line of Joseph. And you can see that the line of Joseph, who wasn't his father, except for the fact that he was the husband of Mary, and therefore... Uh, was um, the one that raised the child that uh, that was born, uh, who was Jesus, and so you can see that his lineage, even even though he had nothing to do with the birth, but he was uh, he was there to to be the father of the child as he grew up, and his line goes all the way back to Abraham. Now, Mary, in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, and beginning with verse 33, beginning with uh, verse 33 of Luke chapter 3. Um, we're not going to read all of the lineage here, but let's just begin with verse 33. Uh, and, um, well, let's begin with verse 23 and, and just read it, and we'll go down to verse 38. This, this will give you a story of the uh, lineage of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus himself began to be 30 years old of, of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Now, a lot of people don't remember or notice that this is, this is made clear in the Scripture that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. And um, they were not married 
and um, she was a virgin and the Bible had said that Christ would be born of a virgin and so uh, he waited uh, and he, he as the scripture says he took her to wife at the time but they did not become uh, united as husband and wife till after Jesus was born and says um, uh, in uh, in this verse uh, verse 23 Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age being as was supposed the son of Joseph which was the son of Heli which was the son of Mathat and we'll not read all the way down here till we get down to um, verse uh, 38 well verse 37 which was the son of Methuselah which was the son of Enoch which was the son of Jared which was the son of Melaleel, which was the son of Kelman, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. This is the lineage of Mary. And um, he and her, uh, her lineage went back to Adam, the first one who was created. So that shows that uh, Christ was born of the line through which uh, when God first created man and uh, that um, Joseph the father uh, had a, a lineage back to Abraham all of this was just to know that um, um, that Christ is was came from the line of through which uh, when God created man he created uh, the, the creation of man was made and that all men are, are related to but to show that Christ himself came from that line directly the birth of Jesus Christ was uh, was recorded in uh, Luke 1 and verse we'll, we'll, we'll record in several places but we're going to look at Luke 1 and begin with verse 5 <clears throat> there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Baia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both um, righteous before God, walking... Um, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now notice what it says about this family. The days of Herod, here's um, uh, Zacharias and his wife Aaron, or Elizabeth, I mean, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now how many people can make that claim even of God's people today, even of those of us that are here, how many of us can say that walking in all the ordinances or commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless? I dare say we'd all have to admit that we couldn't be considered blameless. But we're talking about the line of Jesus, and this is what it says about the mother of um, Mary and who, the, who Christ would be born of 
They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. They both were now well stricken in years. came to pass that while he executed a priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense. And um, he, when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, fell down before him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit uh, and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife is well stricken in eight years. And the angel answered and said unto her, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now the angel came to tell um, Zacharias about this and, and he said, there's no way that I can have a child. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them. They perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministrations were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Okay, so now we see the beginning a story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, let's look now at verse in the same chapter in Luke, at verse uh, fifty-seven and, and uh, at, uh, to. Um, uh, well, we'll not read all this, but now Elizabeth's full time came, and she should be delivered. She brought forth a son. Her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. They rejoiced with her. It came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They called him Zacharias after the name of his father, which was a common thing in those days. His mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. They said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. He asked for a writing table wrote, saying, His name is John, and they marveled all. So, now the birth of John is, is being seen. The, the one, the forerunner of Christ, the one who would announce about the coming of Christ, and so on. And so, uh, we could 
Uh, going down now to uh, verse, um, let's see, verse 70. Uh, let's start with verse 73. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham that we granted us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts all the day of his showing unto Israel. Now, we have the birth of, G- of, uh, Matthew, of Joseph, the birth of, birth of Mary, and the birth of John the Baptist, who would bring them, uh, to, who would be the uh, one to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We have Joseph... And then we have Mary, who Mary was found to be with child. And um, then we have uh, John the Baptist, how his line came up, and he was to prepare the way for the birth of Jesus. Now... um, Let's see. In Luke one twenty six through twenty eight, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto unto her. And said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, shall bring forth a son, shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come unto thee in the power of the highest, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So now we see the announcement, we see the birth, rather, of Joseph, his line, of Mary, her line. Now Joseph, his line um, was was right back with, just like it should be, but he's not the father of Jesus. The, the, Jesus is the Son of God. And the Spirit of God overshadowed Mary, and she was uh, she was given a a, um, uh, a miraculous conception of uh, to bear 
the, the birth of Jesus. Now, all of this is to let us know that everything about the line of Jesus, his, his line, the line of Mary, and even the one who would be, who would raise him as a father, uh, which would not really be his father, Joseph, all of this lineage goes back to uh, the, the beginning and the line directly to uh, Abraham. And it was announced to Mary, it was announced to Joseph, and um, told to both of them that she would have a son. Now in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Okay, now, we see why, the, you see, um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But they didn't live in Bethlehem. However, just before the time for um, her, the, her to give birth to the child Jesus, there was a decree from Caesar Augustus. Now, he made a decree that everybody had to be taxed, but they had to first go to the city where they were uh, born, where they grew up. And they, and they had to go back to Bethlehem because that's where he, where he, uh, he was. He had been born. And so they were in Bethlehem, which is what the Bible said would be the birthplace of Jesus, of the Son of God. And so in verse 6 it says, So it was, this is Luke chapter 2, and it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The reason there was no room was because everybody had to go back to their city that they came from to be taxed. And Joseph and Mary had to go there. When they got there, the rooms were all filled. So they, uh, they went into uh, the manger, into the uh, barn, so to speak, and there was where Christ was born. Laid him in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. Now, while he was there, unbeknownst to anybody else, there were some shepherds that were out tending the flock a, a distance away from there. And there was an announcement made to them in Luke chapter 2, verse uh, beginning with verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
Lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and um, uh, saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, after the angel went left, came to pass, as the angels were gone away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Okay, so now we see the announcement to the shepherds why they came to visit to see this child and the announcement that made to them and that they came to see the child that was uh, born to be born of Mary. So, so here we have the the beginning of what took place. Joseph's line went back to Abraham. Mary's line went back through the same line, and uh, they were uh, they were uh, engaged to be married. And um, then the angel appeared to them and told them that uh, Mary would have a son, was, uh, that she was going to have a son, and that that son was the son of God, and that Joseph was to receive her, and, um, and they would be married, but uh, they would not uh, complete the marriage until after the birth of Jesus. They would, they would be together as, as husband and wife, but he would wait until the birth of Christ before they became uh, uh, one as far as marriage is concerned. So, we see the, uh, the line and how it worked and how, how God prepared all of it and told the shepherds about it and how they came and they made the announcement, and the announcement was made that uh, that there was uh, the Son of God was born in Bethlehem. Why they went to Bethlehem, why they were there, and all of that. The king uh, Caesar Augustus, who would not in in any way do anything to to magnify God because he didn't believe in God, but he at the same time. He was obedient to God because God made him make a decree so that Mary and uh, Joseph would be in Bethlehem when the child 
was born, when Jesus was born. So all sorts of things happened. And of course, many things happened uh, there. Uh, the wise men came to visit and all of that. And uh, they uh, went, to, went back eventually to Nazareth in Luke 2 and verse um, 39. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew, waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So, just to, to kind of get a little uh, history of how things worked out. This was the birth of Jesus and uh, why it took place as it did. Um, Christ grew and the first mention of him being in a temple was when he was 12 years old. In Luke 2, 41 through 50, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They took him to Jerusalem, who's 12 years old. When they left... They didn't miss him until they were on their journey home and suddenly discovered that Jesus was not with them. And um, verse 44 says, But they, supposing him to have been in a journey, in a company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And here's where they found him. Came to pass after, this is verse 46 in Luke 2, came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When Mary and Joseph came back, they found him at the temple, at the age of 12, there at the temple, asking and listening to the, the doctors, the, uh, the, the teachers, well-educated teachers that were working in the temple and so on. And um, he listened to them and he asked them questions. And they were astonished at his understanding and amazed. They were amazed. When Joseph and Mary found him there at the temple, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? 
Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or know ye not, that I must be about my father's business? That was the first time that a mention was made that Christ was to be about his father's business. Joseph was not his father. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived by the miraculous uh, conception from God and and here at the age of 12 when they came back to find him when they, they found out that he wasn't with the company uh, that was with them all the people that were there all their family someone said some time ago years ago was uh, that's my favorite saying you know years ago but anyhow, uh, said that um, uh, why was it that they didn't miss him until then? But remember, everybody was to come to their home place. So everybody that was journeyed there were all family relations some way or another. And they had a, uh, they had a lot of people. And so uh, children were being taken care of by different people. And so they started out assuming that Christ was with the company of people, but he was not. He was in the temple. And he said, don't you know that I have to be about my father's business? This was at the age of 12. They didn't, in verse 50, they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They didn't understand. They knew that they had been told that she would have a child and that this child would be the son of God and that she uh, gave birth to a child uh, and they called him Jesus like they were told to but they still didn't know all the things that was going to take place uh, they were just the, the instruments that God used in bringing uh, himself uh, as, as the Lord into this world to be born of a virgin, uh, have no earthly father. His, his father was heavenly father, and he was born in uh, Jerusalem and uh, or Bethlehem rather, and um, that uh, that he was to be about his father's business. This was when he was twelve years, but there was a period of time between then uh, that uh, nothing is said about him as a child. Uh, let's read verse 51 and 52. He went down with them, came to Nazareth, was subject unto them. Now I want you to notice, <clears throat> remember that Christ, when he was born, was called Jesus and he was called the Christ. His name was Jesus, but he's called Jesus the Christ, the, the Son of God. Uh, but um, that he was born for a purpose. The purpose was that he would be the sacrifice of the sins of all people who ever would be uh, a child of God and would be uh, eventually... Uh, go to their home in heaven. So this was 
how these things were told to Joseph and Mary. Now, this, this took 12 years, all of this information. And uh, they just couldn't, uh, they just couldn't uh, understand it. And um, it says then in the verse 51 that we just read, that he was subject unto them. I want to pause just a moment to think about that. He was born just like any other child, except for the fact that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But he was born in human form. He was born as a little babe. Now, when Christ died, Christ was without sin. That's how he could be the sacrifice of all who are his children. That's how he could be your sacrifice and my sacrifice. He died for the sins of all his people. Someone once said, well, when we're saved, we're saved of our past sins. But we have to be careful we don't sin or we'll be lost again. That's the teaching of of some religious groups. All the sins of every believer that um, uh, have been born since Christ was born were future sins. Nobody from that time forth when he began his church sent his church out to be uh, to be witnesses to preach the gospel to people. None of the people that have been born since then had past sins when Jesus died for their sins. When he died for us, none of our sins were past sins when Jesus died. They were future sins. Christ died for all sins of his people. All the sins of his people uh, that came after him on were future sins. So we had no past sins when Christ died for us. He died for our future sins. Every sin that we commit before we were saved, every sin that we commit after we're saved. And I don't uh, I don't believe that any Baptist that's truly a Baptist teaches that we uh, we no longer live in sin. We no longer are sinners. We all were sinners after Christ died for us. He died for our sins. All of our sins were future sins. Those for which we lived in before we were saved and those which we commit after we're saved. And nobody can honestly say that I have never sinned since I've been saved. I know there's a religious organization that teaches that, and the people um, believe that they have never sinned. But that's not true. None of us ever go through a day without sinning at least once in our life. We all are guilty of sin. 
The only difference is before we were saved, we were we were we were guilty and deserved to die because of our sins and deserved hell. Christ died for us. We didn't we didn't know that. That was not applied to us until the day we we were saved. But the day we were saved, the death of Christ had already been made and he died for every sin that we committed up until the time we were saved and every sin we commit after we're saved. Now that's not an excuse to sin, but we need to understand we don't we're not saved because we give up sin. We give up sin because we're saved. But the point is we still live in this sinful flesh and sometimes we fail. But every sin we commit before or after is covered by the blood of Jesus. That's not an excuse to sin. That's just to give us every day a day of rejoicing that Christ died for our sins, even the ones we committed today, even the ones we commit tomorrow. They're all covered by the death of Christ. Now it says in verse 51 and 52, He went down with them, came to Nazareth, was subject unto them. His mother kept all these things in her heart. First off, as a child, as I was starting to mention a minute ago, Christ was subject unto them. He obeyed his parents. He didn't just obey them when he was a little bit older or anything like that. From the time he was born, Christ lived a perfect life. He was without sin. We can't say that. We know that before that, from the time we were born. You say, well, as little babies we didn't sin. How many times have you, when, when you've been around a baby, and the baby will suddenly start crying like his heart was broken, like he was hurting like everything, or hungry or something, and crying like everything, and then when you go and pick him up, he's okay. He sounds like he's something wrong with him, but he just wants you to pick him up. We sin from the time we're born. And we continue in sin even after we're saved. The only difference is we know now that we are sinners and we strive not to sin. I've heard people say I've well, when, I remember one year as I was young, when I was a young preacher, I visited an uncle of mine. And he said, Jim, I want you to know that I've been saved so many years, and I forget, it's like something like 30 years. He says, I've never sinned a day since I was saved. Well, I knew him, and I knew better. But he thought he'd never sinned. We all sinned. But all of our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And we are safe and sound in the arms of Jesus. We'll read verse 52 and close and have our break until time for the message. 
Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was subject to them as a child. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All of his life that we don't know anything about even, he never once sinned. So that's that's what we sometimes call the silent years of Jesus' growth. We know not the Bible doesn't talk anything about his growth from that time on until later in his life, until he begins his ministry. So we'll stop here and we'll begin studying. They shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. My message today is on the subject of the white garment. You notice in this verse, it says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. White in the Bible is always a symbol of holiness. The priest wore robes of white linen, and so did the choir of Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 11. Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, I said 11, verse 12. Second Chronicles 5 and verse 12. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, and of Judithim, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding the trumpets. See, they were arrayed in white linen. The choir of the, uh, the group, they were arrayed, or they had white clothing on. God uses the white robe as a symbol of holiness in every instance when it's mentioned in the scriptures. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9 says here, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. Now notice what it says, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the finery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. The garments, speaking of God, the Ancient of Days, was white garment, white robe. In Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17 and verses 1 and 2, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, was transfigured before them. His face did shine as sun, his raiment was white as the light. Again, we see during the transfiguration, 
that God described Jesus, or Jesus appeared to the disciples, actually, uh, at this time uh, on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, went up into a high mountain, apart from everybody else, from all the followers and everything, went up there with them, and while there, uh, uh, God brought before them a vision of what it would be like in heaven when he made them to see Jesus as he truly was. He was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as light. All of this was to let them see and let them know that he is God. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. verses 13 and 14. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, meaning Christ, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the path with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Eyes as a flame of fire. Fire. He was he, he, he was there. They saw him. They saw a vision of him as he is in heaven. All pure white. That's symbolic. That's what white is a symbol of. Symbolic of purity and Sinlessness. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 12. Well, Mary, 11 and 12. But, and, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the heat, feet, excuse me, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. She went to the tomb when Christ was uh, put on the cross. And I mention again, I repeat again and again, they did not kill Jesus. They could not kill Jesus. He gave up the ghost. He willingly died. He could not die because he was sinless. But he took the sin of all his people who would ever be saved from from the beginning all the way through life. Everybody that was a child of his, he took their sins and our sins and all who will be saved yet, all those sins on himself and died for those sins. But you'll notice they did not kill him. He gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. Remember, we've read that. 
when he was on the cross, he gave up the ghost. He's the one that allowed his life to leave. Nobody could kill him, but he gave up the ghost for our sins. Now notice that the angels that were there in the tomb, one at where the head had been and the other where the feet had been, but he was not there. When they went, they ran and looked into the sepulcher. They saw two angels in white, sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. Acts chapter 1 and verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, this was the disciples that were with Jesus when he went back to heaven, and he departed. It said in verse 9, let's read that one. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. The angels came and stood by them, and they were standing, gazing up into heaven where Christ went, which is what would be the natural thing to do. But this is what the angels said to them. Ye men of Galilee, verse 11, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Don't stand looking up there at where he was. This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. Now, what he said was what the angel said to them when they were standing there and talking to Jesus. And all of a sudden, he went up into heaven, and they saw him no more, and they stood there gazing at the last spot where they saw him. And the angel said, Don't keep looking up to heaven. He'll come back again. You have a job to do. He gave you a job to do. Get busy doing what you were told to do. That's more or less what he was telling them. How many times do we spend similarly? We may not be gazing up into heaven but how many times do we spend our time uh, not not literally but gazing up into heaven when we should be about the business of serving God instead of watching up there staring up into heaven he says get busy that's what they said don't don't stand there gazing into heaven get busy with what he told you to do. Get busy fulfilling the commission, the duties, the responsibilities. Now, the message is on the white garment. Christ was seen in white each time. He's described as in white when he's being revealed as the Son of God. The white 
is symbolic of holiness. He was filled. He was full of holiness. There is nothing impure about him. That's why Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by man. He did not have the sin of man, man in him when he was born. We, when we were born, were born with the sin of man in us. We had the nature of sin. We still have the nature of sin. But we've been saved by the grace of God. We, while we're still in the flesh, have that nature. When the day comes, either we're dying or buried and taken up to be with the Lord, or we are alive when he comes, when we're caught up, we'll be changed and we will have the pure garments that we could not have in the flesh because of our sinfulness. But upon salvation... We are dressed in a robe, not a robe like uh, our physical dress, but a, a special robe of righteousness. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah 61 and verse 10. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he, now note, note who, who did it, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. I want you to notice the emphasis. I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in my God because He, God, God the Father, God the Son, clothed me with the garments of salvation. If you have the garment of salvation and you're reading this verse, you read it the same as I do. He hath clothed me. You're the pronoun, me. He's the, um, he, he's the Lord. He hath clothed me. And every time you read this, you're reading it. You're the one clothed with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness. There are many people that teach us, well, I put on the robe of righteousness, or I put on the garment of salvation. I saved myself. I was saved. I decided to be saved. I made the decision. And all the terms that are used in this world, he, we, we say, we, the, most of the terms that people use is, I did this and I did that. I decided. I made up my mind. And so on and so forth. No. That's not what happened. You could not clothe yourself with garments of white. You could not clothe yourself with the garment of salvation. Isaiah 61.10 that we read a moment ago says, He 
says, we will be clothed. He clothes us with the garments of salvation, covers us with the robe of righteousness. We will be clothed. We do not clothe ourselves. We are sinners. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18 says this. Isaiah 1 and 18. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, we will be clothed. We are sinners. Romans chapter um, 3. Wait a minute. Let's let's, um, see if I... I read verse 10, yeah. All right, let's turn now to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. I read that. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. All right, now we want Romans 3 and verse 9. Romans 3 and verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles. That's including uh, the chosen people and all other people in the world. The Jews are God's chosen people. Gentiles are everybody else in the world. The before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Have you heard people tell you to seek God? We would not and could not until we were saved. He sought us. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. None that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they, they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the, the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Everybody in the world cannot pra- brag and say, I did it. Our mouth was stopped. We stood guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We cannot keep the law to get saved. 
verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We're sinners. Ephesians says it like this. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses beginning with verse 1 down down to verse 9. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation. We lived with those, our way of living, word conversation means way of living, with these kind of people, people that work disobedience and so on. We lived in and were among them. In conversation in times past and in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as Others, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to us, Toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We cannot boast of our salvation. We are sinners. We cannot say, I put on the white garment. No. No. Go back. Remember what we said in Isaiah 1 uh, 18. In Isaiah. 118. Should have kept that pep. It's come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now he didn't, Isaiah didn't say, even though your sins are as scarlet, you can change them to become white as snow. Or uh, though they be red like crimson, you can change them to be wool. White as wool, in other words. doesn't say that. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Not because we could change them, but because God changes it. We're clothed in garments of white. Clothed in garments of white. Psalm 51 and verse 7. Psalm 51 and verse 7. 
Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The psalmist said to God, as he prayed, each psalm is a prayer to God. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow, whiter than snow. The prayer and the psalm is, God, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Okay, now, look at Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Revelation 7 and verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. A great multitude which no man could number out of every nation and kindred and people and tongues. People out of every nation. God didn't say he'd save everybody in each nation. But out of every nation there would be those before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands clothed with white robes and palms in their hands look down verses 13 and 14 one of the elders answered saying unto me what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence come they and I said unto him sir thou knowest and he said to me there are they, they, these are they which came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb the great out of the great tribulation that white in the blood of the Lamb. White in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 3 says this. Revelation 3, verses 4 and 5. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We are the overcomers. The overcomers dressed in the robe of white. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. These are the victory, the ones who overcome the world. White garments, dressed in white garments. That's what that's what the Bible teaches us. 
I want to finish the message, but I can't do it now. I'll have to finish it this evening because I want to get it all and I want you to hear it all. So uh, we will close now, be dismissed, and we will uh, come again this evening and we'll finish the message this evening. Shall we stand to be dismissed? Jim dismisses in order of prayer. <laughs>